So, Bobby G. Oh, no. Um, let's answer some questions from the listeners. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. And I'm your old friend, Bob, from graduate school from 100 years ago. Also a therapist in practice here in Seattle. What's your favorite color, Bob? I don't really have one. It used to be green. Blue's nice. Yeah. yeah. They're all good. I like the kind of the whole rainbow is good to me. Yeah, I kind of feel like the older people get, the more they don't have a favorite color. Yeah. Like you? when you're young. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Like I've, I've rotated. When I was a kid, it was purple. Purple. And then I think eventually, I, I didn't want it to be blue because like every boy's favorite color was blue sure. when, I, when I was a kid. Yeah. And then it was green. Green. Green's good. And then I loved aqua or did sky, you have a, did sky blue. Did you have a shade of green that you liked? Like Kelly green or winter green or um, sage? I think of, of the Crayola crayons, I think it was like the forest green. The forest green. Oh, yeah. Deeper, nice deeper yeah. green, like right. a pine tree green, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. And today I'm just like, I don't know what my favorite. I don't really yeah. have a thing, you know. Whatever you get the most of. Yeah. Uh, first question from patron Daniel from Kentucky. So by the way, when you email in, let us know how you want me to refer to you. And Daniel helped me by saying, I would like to be, to be referred to as Daniel from Kentucky. Great. Um, you probably hate him because he's from the state where the, you know, Oh yeah. The state that beat my team. Penn state. Penn state, Kentucky. Uh, Daniel, maybe we don't want to answer your question. Yeah. Or maybe maybe we want to answer it wrong. Oh. <laughs> he says, I just listened to your episode on Trump and narcissism. Oh, yeah. I like that you had caveats to what you said and did not diagnose him from afar. Yeah. If a therapist did, did diagnose from afar, what could possibly, what could they possibly miss? So essentially what yeah. patron Daniel from Kentucky is asking is like, well, you know, what's the what would you miss that you would get and realize in an office setting where you're actually doing an assessment? What do you think, Bob? Well, you get interaction. You also get to ask questions naturally as they occur to you. Whereas when you're, if you're going to, you know, quasi diagnose somebody from afar, all you're relying on are news reports, video clips. These are people that are on public display. So that whatever that persona is, because would you say that there's more to you than just Kirk Podcaster? Right. It's a good analogy. It's yeah. like if someone were to listen to every every podcast and look at everything on Facebook right. and try to assess my personality. Now, I've actually come forward with my personality traits to some extent. Right. So that – but but if I didn't do that, yeah, it would be – you know, I present a particular side of myself right. that – and there, there are absolutely parts of myself and behavior and reactivity that I would never uh, publicize. Right. Or if I did record, I would edit out because I wouldn't want that to be in the world, right? Right. So Trump, others, you know, they are doing the same thing, right? Yeah. They're in public and they're, they're putting forward what they want people to see and they're hiding what they don't want people to see. Yeah. Um, and to assess personality, you got to see the the whole gamut. Plus, you know, people wield that shit like a club. It's not like they're saying, oh, blah, 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 and maybe they're narcissistic because they have some clinical thing. It's just a way to kind of, 
shit can somebody. Right. And that actually says more about the person doing the diagnosing, if that's the word we want to use, the assessing or whatever, than about the person that they're talking about. Right. Notice that judgments are usually reveal more about the person having the judgment than the person that's being judged. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, That's a good point. Thanks. And the, right, like you're saying, they use it as a club as if calling someone narcissistic means that that means they're a terrible person. Yeah, right, right. Because that's how they use it. Right. How, you know, they, we, people. Right. Yeah. And clinicians. Like, uh, because what, you know, when I did the deep dive on narcissism and Trump, there are, uh, clinicians who have gone on record and yeah. have even published I material s- publicly stating that Trump okay. has narcissistic personality disorder and is a men and therefore is a menace. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. What? Which makes no sense because having narcissistic personality disorder does not mean you're a menace. Right. Like p- lots of people with narcissistic personality disorder are never a menace to society. No. To society. Right. In fact, most aren't. You know? Yeah. So uh, you know. Um, you know, like Obama could have had narcissistic personality disorder, but we wouldn't know because, you know, uh, we would have to ask um, people around him. And even then it'd be hard to know. Anyway. And, and maybe even him. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. So you, when you're just looking at what the media presents, you, you know, that is, um, you know, problematic and, and difficult. And whenever I do such exercise, like I recently did, an episode with Umberto about Roseanne Barr. Oh yeah. And I tried to look at her personality and again, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at what's in the media right. and what she's chosen to say, say while she knows a camera is pointing at her. You know? Right. And it's just really hard to tell. Um, the other thing, I think you kind of said this was that a big part of personality assessment has to do with the interaction. Right. So I need to be able to interact with that person and uh, test them out, so to speak. You know, I need yeah. I need to be able to say, you know, certain things to them, and from their reaction and the back and forth, then I will have a better idea of their personality. Right. The other thing is is that I also gauge how I feel when I'm talking to them. Right. There, do we use that as a criterion for offering a diagnosis, or is that more like a personal? Um, hunch pointer. Uh, what was the first part of your question? Is it, it do people use their own countertransferential responses to inform their diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, experts in personality disorders do. I uh-huh. mean, because uh, they f- come from the old school uh, notion, which is sound, that y- your countertransference is an indication of what's going on with that person subconsciously, mm. and. Um, now, some of that's ridiculous, right? Because uh-huh. you could just be having a bad day or, or, oh, or we pro- project all the time, project all the time for sure. Yeah. Or your own vulnerabilities that are completely right. unrelated to the client are being triggered somehow. Right. But, you know, as you know, when you sit down with a client, different clients feel different. Oh, yeah. Even though in for that day, you have the same vulnerabilities and the same mood or whatever. Right. And... When I am talking to someone who is higher on the scale of borderline or narcissism or histrionic or some other condition like that, antisocial, um, I will feel a certain way. Often I'll feel afraid. Afraid. Because they are, they're terrified to the point where 
and you know because they were mistreated growing up they learned that they needed to actually kind of go on the attack subtly mm-hmm. at least i mean sometimes overtly aggressive but they're so afraid for you know justifiable reasons that as soon as they sit down on my couch they're already on a they're already coming from an aggressive stance and and it's very subtle you know so you know if i just looked at what they're doing I wouldn't see aggressiveness. I wouldn't hear actual hostile words when I'm talking about these subtle things that they're doing. But there's something deeply threatening that I am feeling about these people, you know? And people lower on the scale, I don't get that from. It's only people who are, you know, above like the, in my scale, like the 50% mark, like above like the 80% mark maybe. Um, So... When I feel that, I use that. Now, I don't just, oh, slam dunk, I feel sure. afraid. Right, gotcha. Therefore, blunt, blank. Yeah. But it definitely is, in my experience, a strong indication of something. It's, it's a yeah. source of information. Right. Absolutely. Right. So um, so that's what all, you would also miss, you know, just watching Trump or Roseanne Barr or O.J. Simpson or you know, anyone. Just these people, just watching them on TV. Right. Um, you're not likely to get that counter-transference data. So you'd also miss that. Um, well, if that worked, that's what we would do. Right. And the the main thing that I want to get, because I think this is what Daniel is asking, is like when, you know, people have personalities, we can say that. Um, when uh, you are with that person day in and day out, um, you get a full, you know, think about the people around you, everybody out there, listeners. Think about the people closest to you. You see them when they're in a bad mood. You see them when they're in a good mood. You see them, you've seen them get upset. You've seen them afraid. You've seen them bothered by other drivers on the road. You've seen them worry about money. You've seen them, you know, you go to Thanksgiving and you're driving away and, and your spouse starts complaining about other family members or something. You've seen them in that, you've seen them when they've uh, been angry at you, you've seen like a lot of different things uh, about them you, and uh, things that they would not like to be public. <laughs> now, if you went to your spouse's coworker, who they only saw once a week or something, and asked them to tell you what their impression of your spouse was, they would probably not really know your spouse, right? Right. You know, you you know your spouse. Right. The rest of the world has varying degrees of less knowledge of your spouse, you know? And certain facets, because, you know, there's a lot to us. Right. Yeah. So that's what it's like trying to diagnose someone in the media. It's like you're, and it's even worse than that because the person in the media is putting on a show. At least the coworker probably sees them when they get in a bad mood sometimes, you know, because they're not, they're not being recorded all the time. Right. So, you know, that's, that's what, um, that's why we do not diagnose from afar. Yeah. <laughs> Cause uh, or that's one of the reasons because it's like, it's impossible to have an accurate understanding yeah. of, of what the situation is. You know, for example, with Trump, I would love it. Um, I think when I was, you know, doing a deep dive on the topic, I was just, you know, fantasizing about being able to talk to people close to Trump, uh-huh. his family members today. Uh-huh. And, really ask them, you know, or his assistants or something, you know, just, and really just get what happens when Trump is not being watched. What happens when Trump isn't being recorded? What happens when Trump 
is just hanging out because I could see it going a lot of different ways. You know, I could see him being super abusive and everyone's afraid, but I could also see him just being a regular nice guy, just like a chill dude. Like it could be like, you just don't know. You yeah, like know. there's just no way to know. Right. Um, you know, like with Roseanne Barr, for example, if you just look at the sensational media clips, right. She seems quote unquote crazy. Oh, you know, she seems unhinged. That, that un- narrow slice. Right. Mentally ill, quote unquote, is what, you know, she labels herself and what other people label her. Huh. But when you actually look at uh, long form interviews with her, she's just a regular woman that has opinions like anyone, anybody else. And she's not unhinged and she's not unbalanced. And she's just like everybody else, you know, just if you met her in that context, you'd be like, oh, that woman seems nice and yeah. she seems a little funny and she has a lot of opinions about politics. Like, okay, big deal. You yeah. know? And, um, so, uh, anyway, that's what I say about that. <laughs> um, next thing. So I thought I, I perused psychology news. Oh, let's hear it. And I thought I would read this one. Uh, this is in a Washington post and I'm just going to read excerpts from it you may have witnessed this scene at work while socializing with friends or over a holiday dinner with extended family someone who has very little knowledge in a subject claims to know a lot that person might even boast about being an expert this phenomenon has a name the dunning-kruger effect in their 1999 paper dunning uh, david dunning and justice kruger justin kruger put data to what has been known by philosophers since Socrates, who supposedly said something along the lines of, the only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing. Uh, just chiming in here. Have you heard that phrase before? No, not that particular phrase, no. Uh, I, I, I heard that years ago or something similar, and it's always really stuck with me. Uh, I, I, I like that notion a lot. It, it's... It's very guiding to me. Yeah, I know? Know, yeah. Uh, because all of us, um, and I think um, I can have a maybe a particular problem with this, of just like I get a little knowledge and it um, spins out of control oh. into me, me thinking, do you, does that ever happen to you? Oh, my God. I look back on parts of my life and I'm like, oh, you just should have kept your mouth shut. Like what? Uh, you know that word sophomore? 10th yeah. grader in high school these days. Sophomore? Right? Sophomore or the word year sophomore? college. Yeah, the yeah. word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the word comes from the Greek um, for wise fool. And I look at those moments and then I call them my sophomoric moments when I knew a little and said a lot. That's funny. It's wise fool? It is. That's Which hilarious. kind of makes sense. Second year in college. Yeah. You know something yeah. and you profess more. I, mean, I think we've all done it. Yeah. Maybe you did it then. Maybe you did it some other time. I look back on bits of my life. I might even look back on the last year of my life in five years and like, oh, buddy, you should have just kept your mouth shut. Right. Like this happened to me recently. I was, so my garage, uh, you can see it to your right. I, I do. I see it right now. Um, it's it's an outbuilding to my house and it's in the backyard. And, you know, it. Uh, I noticed that it was getting kind of damp in mm-hmm. the garage. And I uh, put an, a humidity detector in there, and it was like 90% humid in there, yeah. you know, or 90% humidity rating or whatever. And I 
also throughout my life have had a, uh, a love for physics and chemistry. And so I have taken, you know, classes when I was younger and in college and high school and stuff on that, you know, like I, as an elective, I took advanced chemistry and physics. That's I, just... I took, I took two years of chemistry and physics for fun in high school even though I didn't need to take it, you know, total I mean? mistake. Yeah. And I loved those classes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, and I would sleep through English, you know, but I, my <laughs> physics and chemistry class, I was just like riveted, you know? Cool. And so throughout my life, I've fancied myself uh, someone who knows stuff about physics and how the, you know, nature yeah. works and stuff. Well, you have some evidence to back that up. You, you know something. And as I was talking to somebody, about the humidity in my garage, I, I was, I threw out a theory. I was like, well, you know, I was thinking, cause, cause it wasn't humid in there in the summer and now it's winter time. It's, it's humid. And, and so I was saying, well, I, you know, I was theorizing that maybe it's because of the cold weather mm-hmm. that it's, you know, it's getting, getting more humid in there. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, maybe if we heated it up, it would, it would be less humid. It'd dry out. Yeah. And, uh, and he was like, well, actually, you know, when you heat up air, it can retain more, more water in the air. And therefore it's, it's going to be less, it's going to be more humid if you, if you heat up the air. Oh, right. Um, and in that moment, and I didn't know this person that well. Uh-huh. And in that moment I felt, you know, kind of dumb. Humiliated. Yeah. <laughs> and I was instantly reminded of the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is like, sure, so the 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 more and I'm sort of at this tipping point now because as a recreation on YouTube, if I'm just like wanting to entertain myself, I'll watch videos on physics and you know general relativity and other kinds of uh, complicated quantum physics and, yeah. and these kinds of things. And if it's one thing I've learned is that it's it's so complicated that, you know, and on Reddit, there's a Reddit subreddit. It's like, um, I can't remember the name of it, but they talk about science a lot. And if it's one thing I've learned is that when you ask an expert a question, like why is my garage humid? They will have the most complicated, but interesting answer to it. And to my mind, um, if, if you were to ask me why my garage is humid, I would be like, I would have probably the wrong answer. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because, it, because the answer is probably like um, uh, there's certain questions like this that they will post on YouTube sometimes and then they do an experiment and I'm almost always wrong. Like They're like, so what do you think? Um, if I'm like, w- like one was um, if you're on a boat and you have a fan pointed at a sail on the boat, do you move? You know what I mean? Like if you have a you're on a sailboat and you have a fan on the sailboat and you point the fan at the sail, will you move? Will you? you know, the simplest answer is, well, yeah, you will because of wind. But then you think about it a little bit longer and you're like, well, no, because you're actually pulling air, you know, so you'll, it'll net, you won't, you won't go it'll anywhere. Net zero. Yeah. But actually, when they run the experiment, you do move forward a little bit. No shit. Because it's not a, it's not an equal. It doesn't. Not all the energy is transferred to the sail. You know right. what I mean exactly. And so, um, so, uh, it's more complicated, right? You can't 
like the simplest answer is wrong, right. but a little bit of knowledge, I'm like, well, it wouldn't go anywhere. Sure. But then when you actually do the physics, it's like, well, you got, you got, you know, vortexes and other materials and, you know, friction, there's all these weird things that happen. And yet it kind of moves forward a little bit. And so it's a combination of a lot of different factors that don't occur to you in the minute, you know, when you, when you know a little bit of information. Right. And so, um, anyway, yeah, I agree with you. I can identify many times where I've, I've thought I knew something and it was like, well, actually when you, when you actually look at it, like a, a little bit of knowledge doesn't really help me, no. you know? <laughs> you know, I thought about this, you sent me these questions, uh, over the email before we got together today. And I thought, Probably a little bit of kindness because it seems that this Dunning-Kruger effect, it's just describing something that humans do. Right. It's normal and it might be, you know, embarrassing. It certainly is to me. And at the same time, you know, what are you going to do? Right, right, totally. But it does sort of explain certain problems in our society, right? You know, yeah. we have politicians who know very little about something right. and claim they know everything about it. Right. Um, and... And so if it's just conversations about humidity in my garage, sure. it's not a big deal, but uh, it can actually translate in, into actual uh, events that are harmful right. to individuals and society. I heard a supervisor once, she called it aggressive certainty. I like that term. Mm. And I certainly have caught myself, you know, engaging in what I would call aggressive certainty. You know, and it usually boils down to uh, this very thing, being certain about a thing that actually turns out not to be the case. Yeah. I remember but growing up it. and uh, having, as a younger person, part of my identity, my identity was wrapped up in knowing things. Yeah. Even when I was like six years old, uh -huh. I, I, I was kind of a, a, a thoughtful, like when I ask my family members and aunts and uncles about, you know, or they'll tell me, actually, I, I won't have to ask them. They'll just, they'll just say, you know, when you were four, you would just be like, staring at the wall thinking about things mm. or i felt like when, like my aunt one time said to me i when you were three years old i would i would catch you looking at me and i and i felt like you were trying to figure me out mm. you know mm -hmm. <laughs> which i don't think that's true but you know anyway the point is is that i fancied myself um you know a, a thoughtful kid and um where was i going with this uh, well, we were talking about certainty, <laughs> aggressive certainty, and um, the embarrassment that comes with wisdom. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where I was going. You, that, that rarely happens where I just start a thing and like can't yeah. retain the original premise of why I went down that road. Yeah. Well, as I understand it, the research on this is if you try to keep trying to figure it out, you know, they say, just forget it and it'll come to you. Actually, if you keep at it, it'll probably come back. Yeah. You want to... We could just sit here and, and talk some more and it'll I wonder what effect I wonder what effect that's called, like the brain fart effect. <laughs> um, Stop throwing well, around that technical jargon. At any rate, I, you know, would um, often make mistakes as a kid. I think that's probably what I was getting at was like I would often make stuff up and uh, I was very sure of myself, uh -huh. you know, when I really just had no idea. I'm um, actually, well, I, I wasn't going here, but this occurs to me. So I have a, I, I've been writing in a journal since I was 13 years old. Yeah. And 13, so I, I've recently just sort of every once, every like 10 years, I'll just really kind of read it, you know, like instead of just sort of 
skim it. I'll actually read it word for word. And yeah. uh, this past week, I've been doing that with my with my journal, and uh, I've read the years of when I was like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and the first number of entries that I did when I was thirteen um, have to do with this kind of like. There's a couple passages. Like it, it really. I'll just say as an aside. Reading my words at the age of 13, I cringe so hard. Like, I am clearly insecure mm. and uh, bashing on other people just because I clearly feel insecure. And, and the things that I'm saying just don't even make any sense. Like, like, one of the things I said was my friend said that he had $500 in the bank, mm-hmm. and he put it in the bank because he wanted to make profit you know, interest. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote that. I said, you know, Eric had $500. He said he had $500 in the bank and, you know, cause he, he wanted it in the bank cause he could make profit. And I was like, that's so dumb. If I had $500, I would have it in my room so I could at least spend it on something. <laughs> Which is probably true at 13. <laughs> but there's so many things wrong. Yeah. And, and I'm so sure of myself. Oh, so no doubt. Yeah. And there's so many things wrong with that statement. One, um, you know, it, it does make profit, so to speak, when sure. you put it in a bank account. Two, I, I think I thought money in a bank account meant you couldn't have access to it. Sure. Like it was just gone. gone. You know, like you, you have to wait 10 years to get it or something. You know, that's how ignorant I was. I knew a little bit about money, you know what I mean? And, sure. but I, and I was so confident in my statement. So that's what the Dunning-Kruger effect, and that's sort of the, the danger of it is like what they found was the like um, going on with this article here. On average, test takers in the study that they did, test takers who scored as low as the 10th percentile, meaning that they knew uh, when they, you know, their knowledge of something, they were in the, the lowest 10th percentile of people that know about that topic, right? They're the most ignorant about that topic. They ranked themselves near the 70th percentile. Oh, wow. 70th. That's amazing. Yeah. So you, you have someone who knows almost nothing about a particular topic, and you say, like, you know, how, compared to the average person, you know, where are you, you know, in, in that ranking? Oh, I'm about, like, at the 70th percentile. Right. I know more than 70% of people about this topic, and yet they know, like, 5%. And, you know... I see this a lot with myself, obviously, I've, you know, talked about that, but I run into it, you know, you and I were experts in psychotherapy and, and to some extent, largely to, to psychology, right? Yeah. And do you ever hear people talk about therapy or psychology and you just cringe at at like how confident they are and they clearly don't know what they're talking about? Oh, you see it in films all the time. Yeah. I just have to shut them off. They're so awful. Right. Yeah. In those situations, I'm always like, why not just ask a therapist? Like, there, what what movie was I watching or a TV show was I watching recently? I talked about it on the podcast. Um, oh, Bandersnatch. Did you watch Bandersnatch? The, the, it's a um, Black Mirror uh, episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it. Um, there's this therapy scene, and the therapist says something to the effect, because the, the guy is starting to... Uh, become more uh, mentally unstable in uh-huh. some ways. And the therapist says something to the effect of, well, you don't seem to be 
dissociating. So you are something along the lines of you seem to be dissociating, but you're not fully delusional yet. Oh, right. It's apples and oranges. Right. Yeah. So I, when I say that statement to you, you immediately say, that's apples and oranges. Yeah. Like that, that sentence makes no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah. It'd be like, I went to McDonald's and got a Whopper, you yeah. know, like to people who know what's up. They're like, that makes no sense. No you sense. can't get a Whopper at McDonald's. It just you can't know? be done. Um, but to the, you know, to a writer sure. and, and to a director and mm-hmm. to an actor and to the vast majority of other people, right. they hear that phrase, um, you know, you're dissociating, but you're not fully delusional yet. They're like, okay, that probably, that, you know, sure. that sounds right. Well, that sounds like, yeah, one's worse than the other. <laughs> right. Because the word dissociating, dissociating sounds like you're dissociating from reality. Right. You know, but that's not, I mean, it sort of is that, but it actually is a completely different condition. That's, yeah, it is. It has nothing to do with psychosis. And so, um, so yeah, I hear that all the time. Uh, but do you ever hear people talking about, uh, not in movies, but like they're just talking like on the radio or someone at a party or something. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but yeah, you hear that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well, I guess it's sort of tangential, but one of the things I've noticed lately when I listen to the news is how much of what's reported as news is just opinion. This is really annoying. Right. Anyways, it's uh, really unrelated. I can't think of a time when... Well, you're an expert on DBT and borderline. Do you ever hear other clinicians talking about DBT and borderline in a way that you're just like, you clearly don't know what you're talking about? I'm sure that has happened many times, but you know, I don't talk to a lot of other clinicians, so yeah, I talk to you. Yeah. And I don't worry about that shit with you. <laughs> well, I'm sure I do it sometimes. But, but, but I think what your point is, is... Do people do that a lot? Yeah. I think they do it all the time. Yeah. And I guess along those lines about me is that uh, since I do, you know, a, three podcasts a week, right. at times I will dip into topics that I'm a lay person. Right. And at times I will think I know what I'm talking about. And of course, you know, listeners will point out when I'm wrong. And there are times when I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have dipped into that so confidently you know right. a lot of times though because i've you know tried to live by that credo of um the only true wisdom is knowing you know nothing um, maybe that's where i was going when i was talking about my childhood was that early in life we'll say this is what i was headed towards early in life i had a pretty um i don't know like i was because of the way i operated i was pretty aware of this notion of, you know, there are people that know a lot about things and there are people that know a little about things and think they know a lot about things. And I would uh, continually bump up against this um, reality that like, wow, life is complicated, (laughs) you know, subjects are complicated. And so I I liked, and so I liked having this um, credo of just like, you know, I really just... And, and I, sometimes I'll say this on the podcast now, I'll just be like, literally everything I've said on the podcast could be wrong. Yeah. And, you know, like in a hundred years, they could listen to my words and they could be like, pretty much everything Kirk said was wrong in some way. Right. And, um, and I know that, you know, it's just like, um, you know, they might at some point, particularly when it comes to the brain, like in 500 years, imagine what they know about the brain. Yeah. And they will listen to what... Um, I'm saying, even though some of it might be the consensus, and they'll just be like, wow, 
boy, was that wrong. Right. You know, that come that they really just did not know what they were talking about. Right. And, um, and I've accepted that. It's just like, especially when it comes to psychology, because, right. you know, I, I doubt we're going to find out that general relativity is wrong or that, you know, gravity doesn't really exist or yeah. something. You know, there, there are certain things that, you know, we could sort of measure and say, yeah, in all likelihood, this is going to stand the test of time right. because it's been measured and confirmed so many times. But when it comes to psychological concepts, it's just like there's, there's no way to confirm a lot of these yeah. things. So anyway. Even in medicine, I heard this guy on NPR giving a talk once, and he said, he was a doctor, he's a physician, and he says, you know, half of what I'm saying to you that I'm telling you is the truth in 10 years will be wrong. Yeah. Just because the nature of learning and understanding is that fast. And medicine has, a, to a lesser degree, uh, but a similar problem to psychology in that you have problems with uh, funding of research and design of research, you know, because there yeah. was a time when the consensus was that uh, carbs were bad, right. right? And there was another time when consensus was fat was bad, right. you know, and the data seemed to show that. Eggs were bad. Eggs were bad. Yeah, yeah there, there, were, there were data that yeah. suggested that, that right. pointed in that direction. But biology and, you know, the system of the human body is so complex that, uh, they have, you know, more recently found out that, well, kind of, but not really, yeah. you know, uh, it kind of depends. It depends on this. It depends, depends. on that, you know, and, right. and our sweeping generalizations that we made 20 years ago, the consensus, or at least what we were telling the media or what the media reported, I don't really know which, which one was wrong, um, was, oh, right. w- was not right, you know? Um, so yeah, I will listen to, I, I love listening to podcasts and, um, when I thought about the Dunning Kruger effect, I thought of Invisibilia. You don't you don't listen to podcasts. I, I used to listen to Invisibilia though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you hear the episode where they talked about cognitive therapy and Freudian therapy? I don't recall it. There was it was an earlier episode, and I can't remember the exact premise, but they were talking about uh, CBT and Freudian, th- you know, psychotherapy and all this stuff, and everything they were doing in that episode was wrong. Like, uh-huh. and while I was listening to it, I was like, what is happening? Uh-huh. You know? And it was, you know, an hour and a half of just Ooh. pure, like maybe half of it was fine, but like uh, the main points I remember just being completely off. Oh, that's disturbing. I could see a clinician believing those things, you know, but I was like, that is not the consensus. And it's, or it's not supported by evidence. And the, the way that they were framing everything about the therapies was just like, like, I can't remember exactly, but I think what it was, was one of the major points they were making was that cognitive therapy is like the one and only therapy that works or something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you know, I could see a, you know, gaggle hey, of man. therapists and researchers saying such a thing. And then, but it's like, um, it was wrong. You know, it's just wrong. Oh, it's just wrong. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's take a break and we get back. Let's continue this conversation. What do you say, Bob? Sounds good. All right. Welcome back from the break. Uh, some announcements here. You can like our Facebook page and play our Tuesday Tougher Bluff game. That's fun. You can, uh, we've started to use Twitter a little bit more. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at psych in Seattle. 
Uh, I think it is at Psych in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and uh, we recently did a survey that we sent out to everybody, and um, I've I've made some adjustments to the podcast because of this. We we've talked about it before, but in case you missed it, um, one of the uh, a major gestalt from the survey was that people like the podcast the way that it the way that it is, and they don't really want it to change much. But one thing they actually wanted was to have you on the podcast more, Bob. Well, here I am. So we're going to make that adjustment. Sounds good. Uh, you and I would have kind of a sporadic uh, schedule. Yeah, I think monthly back in the day. And then well, sometimes we'd go for a few months. Or, or not at all. With, without you being on the podcast. But right. I want to make it more of a regular thing. Yeah, me too. And uh, another adjustment was, and I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but like um, there was a minority of people who were like, um, why are you doing episodes where you just talk about like a movie? You know, you just like, <laughs> like, like you just, you just review a movie. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Um, cause there are some episodes where we analyze the movie yeah. psychologically and people like that. But there are other episodes like the ready player one, for example, oh. there, there was a lot of hype when that movie came out, yeah. which is kind of weird when you look back. Did you read it? Um, no, but Umberto did great book. Oh, really? Really fun. Yeah. I think Umberto liked the book too. And so yeah, I'm surprised you, you would love it. 80s. It's 80s nostalgia. I don't, I don't have time to read that kind of stuff. What? Yeah. Maybe audiobook, you know, okay, while audiobook. I'm doing chores, you know, sure, that kind of thing. Yeah. That film wasn't that good. Um, I, both times I saw it, I didn't like it. Oh, really? <laughs> Why'd you see it twice? Because I do that. I okay. just see everything multiple times. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things to take in. Well, if, so the first time I saw that movie, I, now we're just reviewing a movie again. Oh, but, here we but go. But anyway, the point is, is that, on the survey, uh, some people, many people were like, yeah, it's fine when you talk about movies. But some people were like, I hate it when you talk about movies. Like, one, I don't watch, some people are like, I don't watch movies. Yeah. So, it, it, two, like, why are you talking about movies? This a psychology podcast. Right. Know? And when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, that's, that's true. Like, I, and I think it was just basically like self-indulgent. Like, I just wanted to nerd out with my friends sure. about, a, about a movie that I was interested in talking about. Right. And I decided to record it and post it, you know, as, as an episode, but it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know? It's not germane to your theme. Yeah. So I'm making that adjustment. I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, we might occasionally talk about movies and whatnot, uh, but it won't be like an entire episode or something dedicated to that topic, which honestly is kind of um, liberating to me on some level because those episodes are kind of hard to prep for because I feel like I have to do all this research oh. on the movie and everything. And no. sometimes I just want to just kind of talk about it. But anyway. Win-win. So, uh, and there were other adjustments too that, you know, I've I've made on the podcast. The other thing is, is that we're working on trying to figure out a way so that the listeners can have access to all the episodes and have an easily searchable situation yeah. um, that's um, very elegant and streamlined, which doesn't really exist in the podcast world technology right now. It's amazing that that's true. It is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it might exist and we just haven't, um, there, there, there's this one option we're looking into that might actually work. But anyway, so just know that we're because there were a number of people who were just like, I'm having trouble accessing or searching or, you know, and sometimes that, da. Well, the website now, right? You've cataloged and indexed to some degree. Right. So the website is one, but, you know, even that isn't perfect, you know? So there are um, You're other just telling things. us we're fucked. That's, that's the message <laughs> yeah. here. Got I it. mean, I think in 20 years or even maybe five years or maybe even two years, someone, some marketer will come along and say, oh, there's an untapped market here, you know? 
it's sort of like uh, when YouTube came online. So we're old enough to remember when YouTube didn't exist. There, there was a time when the internet, you had uh, videos, but there was, there was no one for, there was, remember real, remember real networks? Yeah, I do. So they came out as an early player in, in video and streaming. Um, but there was a sort of weird period of time where there were, you know, different formats and sometimes they'd work and sometimes they wouldn't and they loaded funny and, you know, and there was no one place where you would have videos. And then YouTube came along and then YouTube originally, when it first came out, it was for blogging, essentially, you know, it was YouTube. It was like, you just point a camera at yourself and you just, you know, you do things and oh. like, and maybe people will watch it, you know, it was sort yeah. of like a, like a, like a personal blog site. It wasn't for posting like, you know, uh, NFL clips or anything like that, you know? Uh-huh. And, um, and so in the beginning it was, you know, it was, it was very janky and no one was really watching it. And I remember everyone like, you know, we're so narcissistic. Like you're going to post, you know, yourself like going to the store. Like who wants to watch that well, kind of stuff? I have to agree. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but boy, I love YouTube for like household projects. Like I learned how to sweat pipe by watching YouTube videos. Awesome. Right. right. So eventually like, and, and there were lots of other sites too. There was yeah. like live leak and there was Vimeo. Do they and, still exist? Yeah. And there was, um, there was a lot of other sites that were like, you know, YouTube was just, was just one of one, them. One, yeah. And whatever YouTube did or society working with YouTube, eventually YouTube, you know, became what it is today. And now it's very convenient. You know, right. there are, you know, there's just a lot of things that Amazon.com, for example, uh, when it first came out, it was just a place where you would get books. Books. And it was, you know, it's like a convenient way to buy a book. Yeah. And then um, it eventually became, you know, extremely convenient for, you know, one day delivery or same day delivery oh, of, yeah. of things like it's crazy. I know. Um, uh, I use it for Amazon Fresh, you know, for for groceries. Yeah. You know, because there's just, you know, it's just such a pain to drive to the store and blah, blah, blah. They bring you groceries? Uh-huh. And yeah. like and like anything from the grocery store, like toilet paper or, oh, you how's know. The, how's the produce? Um, great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's from this, you know, I, my impression is they pack up the bag and within like half an hour, it's in a car being delivered to your house. It's, oh. it's not like a big truck comes by. You know, oh, okay. It's, it's somebody... like a bunch of Uber drivers, are, right. you know, picking it up and, and delivering it. Do you, do, does the food come from Whole Foods? Cause they own Whole Foods, right? Right. I, I don't know where the food comes from, but, huh. um, I'm sure it has something <laughs> to do with that. Would, would your listeners like us to go to, back to talking about movies? <laughs> yeah. Um, the point is, is that we obviously have a need for a podcast solution that is that doesn't exist right now um, in the same way that we needed a solution for online videos right. and we needed a solution for uh, home delivery of things. And it took a while for, it's not like the demand didn't exist before. The, the, right. and, it, and it wasn't, and it also isn't like, the capability didn't exist before, you know, long before YouTube became what it was, there was the capability to making YouTube long before Amazon became what it is today. There was the capability it, you know, Amazon didn't really come into its own until like 10 years ago, but it could have come into its own 20 years ago if it wanted to. Mail order is not new. Right. Sears. But, but, but two day delivery. Like, oh, well, yeah, that like, um, I ordered a rug, online from an from a rug outlet and it took like two months right and 
that was the way it was before. Right. Remember, it was like four to eight weeks, right. whatever. It was always like, yeah, you know, it, it, by the time you got it, you forgot you ordered. Oh yeah, it, yeah. You know, we just bought a couch from one some store or whatever, and it took a month. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is normal. Yeah. Amazon is abnormal. It is yeah. abnormal. But you know, anyway, the point is, is that hopefully one day a podcast solution will come along that will solve all of our problems. Um, anyway. <laughs> So that was 10 minutes on that ridiculous topic. But um, <laughs> psychology today, uh, two types of psychopath is the title of this article. Uh-huh. And here are the quotes from the responses that they, co- co- that they collated. So this is, you know, midway through the article where they're talking about a research study. The researchers found that successful psychopaths matched unsuccessful ones in all respects, but one conscientiousness. So it seems that the key difference between unsuccessful and successful psychopaths is that the former behave impulsively and irresponsibly, whereas the latter are able to inhibit or at least restrain destructive tendencies and build on their achievements. What do you think about that, Bob? How do we define successful? Right. They're talking about the um, CEOs who are psychopaths. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. And um, as opposed to the psychopaths who end up in prison. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, like um, um, social. I think what they're talking about in terms of conscientiousness has to do with social skills. Do you yeah. think? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. The conscientiousness probably leads to social skills. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but also just planning and thoughtfulness. You know, it makes sense. Right. Like I, less I mean, impulsive. Yeah, I, I find that these discussions are a little weird, though, because uh, there's this really popular notion in our on the internet and in our society that like. All CEOs are psychopaths. Oh, right. You know? Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not true. Yeah. Oh, and that psychopaths are, um, you know, functional, manipulative, conniving people. Right. When the vast majority of, of people with antisocial personality disorder or who suffer from psychopathy are leading very difficult lives. Yeah. They leave not only a wake of destruction behind them to some extent, but they also shoot themselves in the foot a lot. I mean, that's the definition of a personality disorder. If you're if you're really good at um, you know getting things done, um, then um, then that's one thing. But when you lack empathy, because uh, it's not just lacking empathy. You know, there's a whole kind of set of things that are part of that condition. Commonly, um, lacking empathy, but also. Uh, not having a good sense of who you are and what you want yeah. is also a part of that condition because you've been abused in some way growing up often. And so... So you're distinguishing between impulsiveness and actual self-knowledge. They ain't the same. Right, yeah. right. And in order to achieve things and stay out of trouble and be happy, you kind of have to have a sense of self and yeah. you have to, you know, anyway... But, you know, the notion of this article is fine. And the researchers, uh, you know, depending on their definitions, I'm sure it's fine. It kind of makes sense on some level. It's like if you are impulsive, you lack empathy, you, you know, are kind of prone to dangerous behavior, um, you don't really care about other people's feelings and, you you know, you kind of use people. If you're thoughtful, you will uh, point your life in a direction that doesn't harm other people because when you harm other people, it actually, they actually will get in your way. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. It's, it's self-defeating. 
Right. If you're at work and you're trying to get promoted and you walk all over people, well, you might not get promoted and you might even get fired. Right. Whereas if you're conscientious and thoughtful, you'd be like, well, I know I don't care about those people, but I know that if I act like I don't care about those people, I actually won't get right. My, my, I won't further my life in the way that I want to. Behavior as a result of its consequences, as opposed to right, which you know kind of makes sense to me. That sounds like you remember that Kohlberg thing, the six stages of morality. Uh, no, Lawrence Kohlberg. I mean, the rings a bell. Oh yeah, no, but one of this, one of his, uh, I think one of the early stages of morality is um, you shouldn't do bad things because you can get caught or it, it like inhibits your own goals. Oh, there was like a early stage of morality. Yeah. There's like six. And the, the, the last one is something like, you know, because it's your ethic or something like that. I don't remember an ingrained value that you don't harm other people. Yeah. Like that's just cause what you believe to be true as opposed to you're afraid of a consequence. Interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to Google it. It looks like, so what is it called? Uh, Kohlberg K O H L B E R K O H what K O H L B E R G Kohlberg Kohlberg stages. Yeah. So let's look at these. We have, uh, so you have view of persons and social perspective level. So at, um, at number six or number one is the lowest form and it's no VOP. I don't know. View of other person. Um, only self and norm are recognized. Blind egoism. That's well, not a very helpful no. description. <laughs> somebody, somebody doing a shorthand. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Um, I'll have actually have to just go to the Wikipedia. Lawrence Kohlberg stages of moral development. Okay. So, uh, stage one, punishment and obedience orientation. It's okay to do it if you don't get caught. Right. It depends on who he knows, uh, on the police force. Well, I don't know what that means, but anyway, so you only follow rules. You're only nice to other people because uh, you are trying to ab- avoid punishment, right. but if you're not going to get punished, then it's it's okay to steal. It's okay to you know hurt other people's feelings. Stage two, instrumental relativist organ- orientation, which if it feels good, do it. Wow. That's interesting. If it feels good, do it. So that's a higher moral stage than just trying to avoid punishment. If it feels good, do it. That's kind of w- interesting. You know, it sort of implies that. We have a feeling, a good feeling when we're not mean to other people, I guess. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that's right. I think that's what it implies. Yeah. Stage three is a uh, good boy, nice girl, do it for me. Oh, so you're, you're doing good. Th- you're following the rules to please another person, uh-huh. even when they're not around and even when you could get away with it. Right. So it's you're, not about avoiding punishment. It's about pleasing somebody else. Right. Yeah, got it. Um, and you'll see, uh, you know, a certain stage of kids, they'll, go, they'll do that. Uh, stage four, law and order orientation. So do your duty. So it, this is a, a, the duty level. Yeah. <laughs> I said duty. Um, <laughs> number, stage five, social contract orientation. It's the consensus of thoughtful men. That's a weird way to put it. Um, He's old school. Yeah. It's the consensus of thoughtful men. So we have, as a society, decided that it's, uh, that charity is worthy and following the rules is, is, is a, 
is a worthy thing. Yeah. We've, we've all decided that this is what we're going to do, um, even if it isn't related to duty or the law or something like that. It's just like, you know, what we have decided. Right. The social contract. And the final stage six, universal ethical principles. Um, and they have here, what if everybody did that is the um, way they're, the synopsis of this one, you know, well, what if everyone did that? I don't know. That's kind of a funny way to put it, right? It is a funny way to put it. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I would just say it's like, uh, a higher purpose. I mean, not like religious per se, but no. like values driven. Yeah. Just like, this is the way that, well, I guess that's kind of encapsulated in the statement. What if everybody did that? Um, but I don't know. It's kind of a funny way to put it. It is funny. Um, interesting. Well, I learned something, Bob. That's pretty cool. Boy, I feel more confused about Kohlberg now. <laughs> well, so the Dunning-Kruger effect. Oh, shit. That was probably like exactly what just happened. Oh, God. How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> when you actually look at it, it's like, wow, that's actually a lot more complicated than, you know, than what it, it seemed like at first. I mean, you basically had it right, but anyway. Mm. Um, Another topic like this, actually, is the Oedipus complex. Oh, yeah? So, like, when I, before I was a therapist, I didn't know anything about the Oedipus. Or actually, I think I remember kind of studying it in high school randomly. But when I first started studying it in graduate school, which, I, you know, we were barely exposed to psychoanalytic uh, theory, I remember thinking, oh, that's ridiculous, Oedipus, Freud's dumb, you know, because the notion of like, oh, a young boy wants to kill his dad and have sex with his mom. I mean, come on, this is stupid. Uh Well, then when I started actually studying psychodynamic theory more in depth and Mm -hmm. and studying contemporary discourse and texts around that concept, I learned that the Oedipus complex is actually much more complicated than, than what I thought it was. Sure. And so for many years, I would walk around and just say, oh, Oedipus Oedipus Complex is this, and that's why it's so stupid. Today, there are people, you know, in recent years, you know, recent decades, who, very smart people, who will use that as a conceptualization of personality and behavior that is actually quite compelling. Yeah. I forget how how it was compelling. I couldn't reproduce it for you now. But I remember hearing other, like, um, I had a colleague who was really into that concept, and when she started to talk about it, I, w- I was snickering on the inside. I was like, really? The Oedipus complex? Like, you're really going to use that, like, seriously? You went all Dunning-Kruger runner. Yeah. <laughs> and then she started to, but that was just in my mind. Sure, I was just silently that. judging her. Oh, sure. And then she started to describe it, and I was like, whoa. So that's what people are using the Oedipus complex for now? Or maybe that's what they've always used it for? I don't even know. Like, man, did I have a little bit of knowledge that made me feel like I knew the whole thing. Right. Um, and, and then it occurred to me like, well, of course, because Freud wasn't an idiot and his colleagues weren't idiots. You know, there's a reason why it made sense to them. It's because it, it has some truth to it. You know, it's not like they were just purposely coming up with ridiculous concepts. No. But have you ever read that play Oedipus Rex? Yeah. Yeah. It's that's literal. Right. Right. That's literal. And if you, um, and accidental, by the way. Right. Right. So it's, but it's, um, spoiler alert. <laughs> he has sex with his mom <laughs> before they use the term cougar. Um, yeah. no, but, um, um, that's just a literal way to talk about something. And, and 
Um, at least the or little, a metaphorical way. Sorry, that's right. That's what I really mean. It's just a metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And when you are in graduate school, you'll get exposed to some people who have a bone to pick with certain theories and yeah. they will, you know, straw man them. Um, last one here, psychology today. Do you have sex with your eyes closed? It's actually kind of an interesting article. Um, uh, the whole article because they actually, I mean, some of it's a lot of fluff, like, you know, I don't know, just uninteresting connections that they're making. But but they actually interviewed a lot of people about whether or not they have their eyes closed during sex or not, mm-hmm. and whether they keep the lights on or not, and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, it was kind of a, at first I was like, well, that's kind of clickbait, you know? In fact, on Psychology Today, it's like the most popular article they've ever written you know like the most popular clicked most clicked on article really yeah or at least in recent times just because wow. it said like popular articles this was the one that you know and i clicked on it oh, yeah. and at first i thought oh, it's just, this is just kind of clickbait but then i started thinking about it. it's like that is kind of interesting because it's not something that people talk about very often but everyone knows everyone has an experience with it sure you know everyone has an experience with lights on lights off dim uh, random Eyes open, eyes closed, um, eyes open sometimes, eyes closed sometimes. You know, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, thing because mm-hmm. it's interesting that most of what we do, we keep our eyes open. Mostly. Right? When we're talking, when we're walking, when we're yeah. cooking, when we're exercising. Like, you don't close your eyes when you're exercising, but you could. You like, could. If, if you're doing calisthenics or something or push-ups, push-ups. or, like, you don't have to have your eyes open, but uh-huh. you do. Yeah. Even though you're not looking at anything. Not particular. Sex, you could keep your eyes open the whole time, but a lot of people close their eyes. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it. I started thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, why? Right? Because on some level, uh, for people, you would want to see what's happening because you like what's happening, mm-hmm. and you want to see it. Right. There's a visual <laughs> stimulus. But on the other hand, your vision might cloud you and distract you from the physical sensations that are happening. Yeah. Um, also, it's easier to think about other things <laughs> when your eyes are closed. Right. Right. Which isn't a bad thing, but you know, could be a bad thing. Um, well, sometimes people use fantasy to enhance their sexual experience. I could see where I might close my eyes to immerse in a fantasy if that's what I wanted to do. Right. But do you ever, do you ever take a class and in order to listen well, you just shut your eyes? No, do you? Oh, occasionally, yeah. Really? Like, I just shut my eyes so that I can just... Somehow, that's a cue for concentration to me or something. I don't know if it has anything to do with blocking my eyesight. Because when you think about it, closing your eyes, you don't stop seeing. You just see black or dark or whatever. You yeah. don't see nothing. Yeah. We associate it with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, geez, when you say that, it like branches... I mean, side note, does the teacher see you with your eyes closed? Yeah, probably. Because as a teacher, I can tell, I mean, you're a teacher too. Like that could yeah. be distressing is like, is he asleep? Yeah. I mean, you just, you just mimicked how, or you just, you know, represented how you did it. Like one look, it just looked like your eyes were closed. Right. The other look, it looked like you were concentrating with your eyes closed. Right. So if you care about the ego of your teachers, you'll probably do the second one. <laughs> Big class. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sit in the front. <laughs> um, because, you know, as a teacher, I occasionally will 
have a student like nodding off. Oh, sure. It's, it's pretty rare these days. It happened to me much more in my earlier days. That happens to me. I teach skills sometimes, and I see somebody nodding off, like pretty tired. Yeah, you want to get up and stretch? Should oh, you say that? Here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I want to invite somebody back into the discussion. And I are get... you are you annoyed though? No, nah. you're totally cool. Yeah, drowsiness, wow. you know, and you know, I'm not always the most interesting cat in the room. So totally, yeah. Well, when it happens to me, I am I get kind of twisted up about it. Yeah, uh, because I don't have I, I guess I don't have that option. I, you know, like if I had a behavioral option, a protocol, like what you know, maybe yeah. I'll start doing what you're doing. Yeah. But I worry that they're going to be embarrassed. You don't want to embarrass anybody. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, yeah. there's a way. Man, I remember it was, this was probably 10, 15 years ago. I had one student who was basically asleep the entire class, every class. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, that ain't gonna work. and this was family of origin class, right? So it's, it's not like, you know, it's pretty experiential. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's hard to fall asleep in such a situation. And so wow. I remember about midway through the quarter, I, you know, just asked her after class, you know, I was like, are, you know, are you, are you, uh, you're, you seem to be sleepy often. Yeah. Is, every, is everything okay? And what, and I sort of prepared for it because I was like, I've got to say something to her. Yeah. This is getting out of control. Right, right. And she, because it was basically like she wasn't in class. You yeah, know? pretty like, much. You're just not there. And, and also I was legitimately worried about her because it just seems like something's got to be off in your sure. life for that to happen. It's a lot of money to pay to take a nap. That's, yeah. And it, she can't, and she wasn't l- sleeping, you know, uh, conspicuously. You know, it, she was trying to hide it. You know, she was sitting straight up while her eyes were closed. Do you know what I mean? Whoa. And... So I, you know, pulled her aside and I said, you know, and I said really nicely, I was like, you know, is, I just noticed, you know, is everything okay? And she's like, oh, really? Uh, oh, no, everything's fine. And, and, she just, and she just walked away. Wow. And then from then on, it, it was less. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But I just thought like, that was an interesting response because I thought she would say something like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I've been working two jobs or, you know, or I don't know, the subject matter is, I don't know. I, I thought she would say, I thought she would at least... Acknowledge, acknowledge we're on the same page but her her response almost seemed like she didn't know she was falling asleep narcolepsy maybe i don't know oh. i don't know never found out huh anyway um i had a client with narcolepsy he was not aware of his drowsiness oh really yeah interesting and, and took, took, he knew he was having troubles because he couldn't concentrate or remember things smart guy really bright guy and he was having trouble with uh, that and um, did a workup and then, you know, was told you have a form of narcolepsy and that was news. He wasn't wow. aware that he had that sleepy kind of whatever. Hmm. I mean, I don't know anything about narcolepsy except... Yeah. Yeah. Um, except for a very little knowledge goes a long way. Oh, yeah. little DK, little Dunning-Kruger. Sure. Um, so I uh, here's the conclusion to that article. Sure. Increasing sexual excitement often combines closing the eyes with opening them now and then. Yeah. Many people enjoy opening their eyes at the beginning of the interaction. This can take various forms, such as lights on, a constant gaze, or occasional peaks. <laughs> occasional peaks. Yeah. Closing the eyes is quite common later on toward climax. Hmm. Eye closing, too, can be done in different ways, by voluntarily dimming the lights, for example, or by being blindfolded. 
for those open eye mo- mo- moments, mirrors can be helpful. But closed or open, it seems that the eyes definitely have it. That's a terrible ending to that article. That's just awful. Like, I don't even know what they're, what do they mean? It just doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's just a little cleverism. God, you know, like I I read something like this recently too, and it it had something like that. And I was like, you probably really thought like, okay, this is clever, but it's Mm, like, it's not, it's like, it doesn't, it's not, it's not just, you know, why you don't like, you could have, there's all these other ways you can wrap up an article, you know, you could be like, um, well, food for thought. Yeah. Or, um, uh, what do you do? Right. <laughs> or leave comments or, you know, but closed or open, it seems that the eyes definitely have it. Yeah, it's just awful. That's what? a Dunning-Kruger moment. That what? person's going to look back in five years and groan. I hope so. That's Rightfully pretty, so. Pretty bad. They'll be behind the curve. We've groaned already. <laughs> uh, or maybe they're like a super expert well, and that's like a genius thing and we just don't get it. I don't know. Well, what do we think? Yeah. You and me. Eyes open, closed. Eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah like um the whole time actually when you sent me that i thought they were talking about eye contact not just eyes open mm. yeah um so the whole time Carol, no nobody does anything the whole time oh, okay yeah so you like to you like so are you peeking or are you like okay i'm i'm gazing i'm taking it in yeah you're taking it the in. second one i mean my, i close my eyes too sometimes but but yeah the eyes have it Okay. Like <laughs> do you do do you do eye contact as well? Yeah, I like eye contact. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a bonding and a sexual thing? Yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine that. Makes me feel close. Yeah, I can imagine being very bonding. Yeah. And obviously sensual yeah. or a turn on to look yeah. at things. Yeah. Plus, she has really lovely eyes. So. Oh, okay. I dig it. That's nice. She listens to. The, she's a patron of the podcast. Oh my goodness! Oh, we've talked about it. Uh, how's she gonna feel about well, wait, that? Wait, is this a patron only episode? No. Oh well. How's she gonna feel about that one being on the internet? I don't know. I hope okay. I think okay because I'm not just just my eyes, you know. Yeah. 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 I think it's okay. Yeah. And you're married, so it's all legit. That's right. That's right. Street legal. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um. Yeah, let us know what you do out there. Do you keep your eyes open? Do you not? Do you peek? Do you have you light? Are you lights on? Like bright lights? No, candles is nice. Oh, yeah, really? Like every time candles? Frequently, yeah. Wow, well, you go all out. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of dim. Yeah, it's like like how many candles? Well, maybe a half dozen. Are they scented? I can't do scented candles in general. They just give me a headache. Oh, really? So unscented. Unscented, just a little yeah. little dim candlelight. Little dim, yep. Okay. Tea lights. Interesting. Oh, tea lights. Yeah. Interesting. It was a little. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I had this. We have a box of them. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know this. I don't know where they came from. I just found a box of them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things that exists in the bottom of a lot of drawers <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> Same with the bakeware. At my house. The what? The baking stuff, like the baking pans and stuff like that. Mm. Then then there's also tea lights. Yeah, like one of those pans that uh, is designed to make like cupcakes or yeah. something like, and has never been used by your household ever. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Or or that, that basting pan 
that has the great. I forgot we had one of those till oh. recently. Is that a basting pan or I a basting sheet? Roast pan, something. Yeah, yeah. Where it, it allows for drippage, drippage down. Yeah, I was gonna buy one, and then Colleen's like, "Don't we have one of those?" I was making a Chinese barbecue pork. Oh, so good. Oh, really? Yeah, and and you need a pan to you know for drippings and so forth. Huh. And she's like, "We have one, don't we?" We do. So, what makes it Chinese barbecue pork exactly? I don't know. The that was the it was the recipe was they call it that char, char siu. You heard of that char siu? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where do you buy a strip of pork like that? Oh, uh, Central Market. Central Market is the best meat. Oh, okay, yeah. That yeah, that's a that's a great. You ever store. go there? I do. It's yeah. the one of the closer. Yeah, um, yeah. You're lucky that way. Yeah, to me. I usually after podcasting, I usually go there. Oh, really? Yeah, I like the salad bar, oh, yeah. the pizza. Yeah. They got great cheeses and, oh, they do. and croissants and Meats stuff. and cheeses. Um, but, oh my God, I have to tell you something about that store. So it was the day before Christmas Eve, I think, and which, is a, which was a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So it was already a busy day at the grocery store. I you know I go there all the time, right? right. But... Um, I went in there and, you know, it's crowded. You know, there's a lot of like carts that are getting kind of jammed up in certain areas, but oh, yeah. you know, I was getting around right. and I, and I, and I have a system where if it gets a little hairy, I just leave my cart in a, uh, an, in an unobtrusive place like the, the aspirin aisle or something. <laughs> right. And then I just run around the store grabbing stuff and coming back to my cart, you know? Right. And, uh, so I was, you know, doing that and I, and I got all my stuff, you know, cause we host for Christmas Eve at my house. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I, uh, was, it took a while, but I got everything going and then, um, it's time to go get in line to check out and the lines for, uh, buying were, okay. So, you know, typical, it's a typical grocery store layout where you have all the cashiers and then you have the aisles going perpendicular, you know? Yeah. So the, the lines to the cashier were, they started at the cashier and went all the way down the entire aisle. Oh, wow. And then they bent around. And, and so these aisles, they're not like Fred Meyer or Safeway no. or, you know, Kroger aisles. These are like double long aisles. Yeah. Like uh, Central Market has uh, very long aisles. Very long. So we're talking like from one end of the grocery store yeah. all the way to the, back to the back of the grocery store. And then each line was around a corner. Wow. So I'm, I get in line and I'm looking at this and I, I'm, I get eye contact with other people because my, my mouth is agape and like other people are looking at me like, yeah. Yeah. This is insane right now. And so I just put everything back and went home. Oh, no kidding. Because <laughs> wow. I was like, I, because, you know, you know, when you get in a grocery store line and you're like five back. Yeah. And everyone has a full cart. Oh, yeah. You settle in. Oh, yeah. You're going to be there about 15 minutes. Yeah. You're like, okay, you know, yeah, it, this is going to be a while. Yeah. Because grocery store, you know, checking out, it's one of those things that takes a while, you know, it's, you got to ring everything up and yeah. bag everything. Up, big like, orders. A little chit chat, you know? Yeah. So five back, you're kind of like, oh boy, yeah. this sucks. Yeah. This was like, I don't know, I'm guessing like 50 back or more. I don't Just even know. out for Springsteen tickets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, 
I could be here for three hours in this line. I don't, or an hour or some, I don't know. Yeah. And so I just put everything back and went home. <laughs> like did I, you go back later? Uh, yeah. Or, what did I do? Oh, so then I went on Christmas Eve morning. Yeah. And it was empty. Nice. So how does that make sense? I don't know. I mean, maybe everyone's like, well, you got to get the jump on it. The other thing is, it's like um, Sunday is a day off, so everyone goes shopping. A lot of people worked on Monday, I think. Right. Yeah. So maybe that was it. But maybe, yeah. But I was like, well, that's weird. Like, why would it be com- like the biggest packed situation I've ever seen two days before Christmas, but then Christmas Eve itself is right is actually empty. Like, it, I was like, oh, this is. I won that gambit. Nicely done. <laughs> Flexible thinking. <laughs> well. I hate waiting in lines. Yeah. Did you know that about me? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm very impatient. Like, um, like one of the things that makes it much easier for me now is that I have podcasts I can listen to while I'm in the line, you know? Um, but even that, like it, it's not something that I like to do. Like the other day I was trying to get out of downtown coming home driving. Oh yeah. And the route that I should take there was kind of a jam up where, do you know when you're trying to get on 99 North from the old Antioch building? Yeah. That can get kind of real congested. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Where it. you can be at a red light, green light, red light, green light, and just cycles nothing and happens. no one's moving. Yeah. And regardless of that, that was still the right way to go. Right. Because it was going to take a while to get home regardless. But I couldn't take that. So I went up 15th. I went up the Ballard Bridge area. Right. And... um because even though it took me longer that route, it was like, well, I'm not just sitting there. I'm moving. Yeah, I'm moving. <laughs> yep. It feels better. Uh you're not like that? Oh, well, nobody likes waiting in line, but I'm actually yeah, sometimes I get really impatient. The the bank I go to is the US Bank on North Gateway. Mm. And I don't know what people do, but they like they have therapy at the window because these transactions take forever. Right, so I could be the the first person in line and be waiting fifteen minutes because people are doing I don't even know what they do. I mean, fifteen minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's wiring money or maybe it's getting them to print a check. I don't know what people do. I just go and I make deposits. Right, that's all I do. Right. So, so why do you physically make deposits? Don't you have a way of doing it without having to do that? Well, now I do. Oh. Except then they're going to start charging me for for electronic deposits. Oh, you know, really? Like a, when you, you do pictures. Yeah, pictures. Because yeah. I have Bank of America, and they've had that functionality for free for a long time. Uh, well, U.S. Bank. Well, U.S. Bank, how much do they charge you for it? Is it just like a monthly fee or something? No, um, it's per transaction, but I don't actually know what the charge is. I think it's like two bucks. Two bucks? Yeah, it's just crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I might think, be wrong about that. You would think they would prefer it because it oh yeah cuts back on labor right right it's easier for everybody yeah i mean it's essentially their function but them not doing it right you're doing the teller work yeah i'm telling myself (laughs) so anyways what i do though is uh, i sometimes you keep your eyes open or closed when you i'm well when you tell yourself (laughs) (laughs) they're mirrors what's the lighting like (laughs) (laughs) i uh, half smile when I'm in line, you know, like uh, put a half smile on my face. It's actually a useful skill. Oh. And it actually calms my noodle. Oh. It's like, it's like, it's like using my body to cultivate an accepting attitude of, well, this is going to take as long as this is going to take. Yeah. And usually I do it grudgingly. And it's like, fuck this. 
but I'm usually glad I did because it's like, oh yeah, I don't want to stand here and be irritated. I'm going to wait. So yeah, yeah, and it helps. But I don't think you and I have ever gone anywhere where we actually stood in line together. We must have at some point, like um, a cover at a at a at bar a club or, something? or something. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I, but if it's not coming to mind, no. yeah. But for me, I I uh, I really hate being in lines. It's um, I mean, occasionally, like I'll, I'm fine with it because of what's happening. But sure. like <laughs> recently, where was I and why was I? Um, oh, I went to some show at the Paramount or something or the Fifth Avenue Theater or something. I don't know. What was I doing? And um, <laughs> so everyone pours out. Oh, it was Ben Arroyo. Why was that Ben Arroyo? Oh, when I saw um, Neil Gaiman. Do you know Neil Gaiman, yeah. the author? Yeah. I saw him talk, and I parked in a pay garage. Right. And the, it's the one that everyone parks at when they go to Ben Arroyo. Right. And so um, we arrive at the, and it's late at night, it's kind of cold. And I arrive at the garage and there's already a line because you have to pay, you have to pay your ticket before you go go to your car. Right. And so there's this long line of people, um, all Neil Gaiman people. And so I'm standing in line and, and it took a long time. Um, which was, I thought, kind of weird. Cause it's like, how long does it take to stick a ticket in? And, you know, I was like, this this machine must be, Real slow, slow, you know? Yeah. So it was it was a long time. It was pretty annoying. And I didn't have my podcast uh, earbuds with me, so I couldn't, you know, oh. so I couldn't even do that. Just so doing just, your thoughts, huh? So just, yeah, just staring at the night Seattle sky. And then we get to about two back from the front, and someone had sort of skipped the line, gone to their car, and we can see them driving out and they're paying at the um at the you know the gate to get out and it's like you didn't need to prepay oh <laughs> wow what a drag <laughs> and at that point you know so i'm like oh so i could just go to my car but at that point i've like i've i've waited in this oh, line you get into distance I, i'm gonna i don't care if it takes longer i'm getting to that that's machine because right, that's what i waited for and I did. Nice. And then, um, so I, you know, go to my car and then, you know, I drive, I'm about to get to the gate and I have this prepaid ticket, but the car in front of me didn't. And they were having all sorts of problems with the machine. And, and it was the, it was, there was only one gate. So I couldn't go around and I couldn't back up cause there's cars behind me. So now oh, I'm like, man. so I'm, I'm like stuck behind this person and they can't get out they can't and get out. they, and they can't back up. Right. They can't just, drive through the the gate yeah gridlocked so everyone's just like what do we do you know right. and somehow I, they had to call somebody because there's a phone number there or something an attendant or something and then finally they figured out and they got they got out but how yeah. are you waiting um i think all together was it was probably 45 minutes oh, or an hour city. or something the whole thing you know that's a drag yeah uh yeah first world problems well, that does it for that rambly episode in which Bob and I rambled about. What other kind of problems are you going to have? In First World? Yeah. Yeah, you got to complain about something. Well, you know. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's our American right. You deserve it. 